I invite you to open your Bible with me and turn to the book of Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, and we're going to be uh, reading verses 12 through 19, excuse me, 29 through the end of the chapter. Romans 2, Paul has started in chapter 2 to address specifically uh, his Jewish audience. Uh, The you in uh, chapter 2 is referring uh, primarily to uh, the Jews who uh, had great confidence that they were uh, the special people of God and had a special uh, place in uh, in God's economy and that they did not need to be concerned about uh, the wrath of God or a day of judgment. And Paul's going to address that very specifically last time in in verses 1 Uh, through 11, we saw that uh, Paul uh, points out to them that as they're judging the Gentiles for their sins, uh, they're guilty of the same sins. Uh, They're also guilty of violating the law. And Paul will continue that train of thought, but expand it this morning. Let's give our attention to God's Word, Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the works of the law is written, the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For if circumcision indeed is a value if you for circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law but if you break the law your circumcision becomes uncircumcision So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Let's give our attention. Let's ask the Lord to bless us now. Well, God in heaven, it's a a wonderful word you have for us, and I just pray that you would By your spirit, give us the ability to hear it and understand it. And uh, Lord, we pray that you glorify yourself in it. Uh, Lead us to Jesus as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Uh, imagine being on an airplane and you're uh, on your way, maybe some business trip or on vacation, and uh, the pilot uh, comes over the loudspeaker and says, um, ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain and I need your undivided attention. Uh, we're about an hour away from our destination, but our right engine is on fire and the left, uh, we just lost power in the left engine as well. Uh, this plane is going to crash in about 10 minutes. However, if you look under your seat, you'll find a parachute. That would be helpful, wouldn't it? You know, this little raft thing when you're flying over the Great Plains. But uh, underneath your uh, seat, you'll find a parachute. Uh, Please put it on, and we will tell you when to jump. Uh, This will not be fun, but if you follow our instructions, we promise that you will be safe. And so you reach under the seat, and you begin pulling out this this parachute. But you notice that no one else seems to be going along. Uh, People are reading and uh, still sleeping. Uh, Some are asking for more coffee. Uh, So you you turn to the man next to you who's busily working on his computer and you say, "Uh, excuse me, did I hear the captain just say that we're about to crash? And the man said, I I think that's that's what he said. And you you respond, "Well, well, well, don't you think you ought to put your parachute on? And, uh, and the man says, oh, I'm sure it's not as bad as he says. Uh, you know, they, they have to take precautions for things like this, you know, with lawsuits and everything. And, and you respond, yeah, but, but, but look out the window. The right engine is on fire, just like he said it was. And, and we seem to be descending. Uh, and the man responds to you impatiently and says, listen, if you want to wear that ugly thing, be my guest, but leave me alone. I got work to do. You would feel like you're in some sort of twilight zone uh, moment. You, you, you wouldn't quite be able to understand uh, what's happening here. Well, friends, that is the world that we live in. God has promised that this uh, whole world, every person in it, is, is going to come to a moment of crisis. It's, it, the, the plane is going to crash. And there's going to be a day of judgment when every person made in the image of God is going to stand before the God who created them and give an answer for their life. And and some will go to everlasting uh, bliss and others will go to everlasting misery and despair, hell, the Bible says. And, And it's going to happen. God says it is appointed right unto every man once to die and then to face the judgment. And yet people go on with their lives as if it were the very least of their concerns. They either don't believe it will happen, uh, they just ignore the message from the captain, or they, they are trusting in something else, uh, believing that it'll keep them safe. For instance, imagine you're on the plane and you, and you turn to the elderly women, woman on the other side of the aisle, and um, she's, she's not putting her parachute on either, but she's, she's clinging tightly to this homemade pillow, and, and you say to her, ma'am, you need to put your parachute on. And she says, no, um, I'll be fine. Uh, I I have this nice soft pillow uh, that will protect me when when we crash. And you see, the world is full of people with with similar false assurance. They're holding on to something that they're quite sure will be sufficient when they stand before God to give an answer for their life. Uh, They they believe there's a God. They don't doubt that there will be a judgment day. But they're trusting in their good intentions, their their good works, their religious activity, their generosity, um, their moral uprightness, or maybe some religious experience they had, and and they're quite sure that on the day of judgment, this will be sufficient. Well, those are all false assurances. And in this text uh, this morning, Paul is addressing the issue of false assurance. He's, He's speaking to Jews 
who fully believe that there's, there's a coming day of judgment and in fact are anticipating it as the day that they will be vindicated and all the Gentiles will, will get what they got coming to them. But, but Paul, you see, wants these Jews to realize that they're in the same predicament, the same danger. They're on the same plane, and, and it's also going to crash. And the things that they are trusting in, their ethnic identity and their possession of the law of Moses, will not suffice to rescue them from the wrath of God. That's the point he's, he's making. And so he's begun to hammer away at that already in, in the beginning of chapter 2 as, as he reminds the Jews that as they're judging the Gentiles for breaking the law of God, they also break the law of God. And that they have in fact mistaken God's kindness and patience to them for his permissiveness. They think that God isn't that concerned about the sins of the Jews. And thus, instead of being protected from the wrath of God, uh, Paul says they're storing it up for themselves. They're just, they're just adding to the load of judgment and condemnation. And now Paul's going to go on. He's going to deal specifically with the two things that the Jews were convinced would be sufficient to protect them. Their relationship to Abraham through circumcision and their relationship to Moses uh, through the law. Let's look first then at the law of Moses as their ground of assurance. The, the, the assurance of the Jews... Um, well, is related to their possession of the law. The Jews realized that something very special had happened at Mount Sinai. God had brought them out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses with, by God's own mighty hand. Uh, they realized that they were a special people. And, and the receiving of the law at Mount Sinai, well, God didn't give that to the other nations. He gave it to Israel, only to Israel. God didn't instruct the Philistines to build a temple and, and to have the Levitical priesthood and the sacrifices and to keep the law. He instructed Israel to do that. This was God's gift to Israel. And it became a source of intense pride and a basis of false assurance. Uh, Paul captures the mindset of, a, of, of the Jew just distinctly, perfectly in verses 17 through 20. Let's look there first, verses 17 through 20. This is how they would, they would think and reason. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law of God and, on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, and, and the Jew would be saying, yeah, that's exactly how we feel. And, and rightfully so. There's, there's, there's much that's very good and laudable. Um, they relied on the law, and, and they, they believed that the law of God was God's revealed will to them, which it was. Uh, and, and they boasted in God. In other words, they boasted that their God was the one actual true God, that every other God in the world was a meaningless myth, just wood and stone, no deity to it at all, that God, the God of Israel, was the one true God. And if they were exactly right, He is the one true God. Uh, they, they believed that they knew God's will and approved what was excellent because God's will was revealed in the law and the things that are excellent is revealed in the Torah, which is true. 
And they believed that they were called by God to instruct the foolish and to be a guide to the blind and a light to the nations because in the law they have the embodiment of knowledge and truth and all that is exactly right. You see, Paul is not going to chastise the Jews for their confidence in the goodness and the glory of the law of God. He's not going to chastise them for the special privilege they have as God's people. Those things are wonderful gifts from God. They're exactly true. He's just going to show them that when they stand before God on the day of judgment, those things will not be able to cover their sin or protect them from eternal damnation. That's the point he's trying to make. The other thing they relied upon was circumcision, their relationship to Abraham. Another reason for great Jewish pride. Um, their, their religion and their assurance, you see, is tied to the fact that God had come to Abraham in Genesis 17 and said, uh, I will be a God to you and to your descendants after you. And circumcision was the sign of the covenant. And so when Jews circumcise their little boys, uh, they are, are laying hold of that covenant promise. God has promised to be a God to us and to our descendants after us. We're not like the other nations. We are unique, distinct, set apart. We're not like the rest of the world. And so if you would, if you would talk to a Jewish man about concerns about his eternal soul, he would, he would assure you, I'm a child of Abraham. I belong to the covenant. And again, it's true. No other nation could say that God has promised to be our God. And so this is how the common Jew thought of himself, and, and, and rightly so. You see, their assurance, though it is false, it is reasonable. It makes sense. They did have a unique relationship with God. They were His chosen people. Theirs were the patriarchs and the promises. They had in the law of God the embodiment of knowledge and truth. It's all true. But having the law is no protection from the demands of the law or the sentence and penalty of the law. Having the law is no protection from the law. Back in uh, 2003, some of you may remember the, the tragic story of Timothy Treadwell. He was a, a young man who decided to make um, uh, his life about um, bears. And so he, he would go and, and uh, spend time with bears in Alaska, grizzly bears, brown bears, and um, really became his identity. He became known as the grizzly man. Um, and he became very comfortable with the bears. The park rangers would tell him, you're getting, you're getting too close to them. You're, getting, um, you're, you're way too comfortable. And, 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 but, but Timothy thought that he had a special relationship with the bears, that they understood him and, and he understood them. And there was this, this bond taking place. And, and then one night, tragically, uh, he was killed by one, him and his girlfriend. You see, his familiarity with bears had... had, had made him comfortable with them and not aware of the dangers, or at least no longer paying attention to the dangers, that he thought he had a, he had a special relationship with the bears, that, that he was in a sense one with them and, and, and he, could be, he could trust in that. But bears are always bears. And the law is always the law. 
And no matter what relationship you might think you have with the law, you might have it, maybe have it memorized, the law is still the law, and the law still does what the law does, and that is it judges and condemns people when they break it. That's what it does. That's what it's for. And that's the Jewish problem, as Paul points out. Verse 12, For all who sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. That's what it does. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified, who will be declared righteous on the day of judgment. God will look at the ones who do the law and say, innocent, righteous, worthy of everlasting life. And everyone who doesn't do it, everyone who has broken the law, for the law, the law sentences them to death, you see. So, Paul wants to make this very clear. Whether you're a Jew with the Torah in your hand or a Gentile with the law written on your heart, everyone is responsible for what they know. The the, everyone is therefore without excuse. Uh, everyone uh, has understanding of what's right and wrong. Nobody can say, I didn't know. The, the Gentile can't say it because it's on his conscience. The Jew certainly can't know because he has the law in his hand. And yet everyone has broken it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one can say they're without guilt. And so Paul just presses that home. Verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that uh, one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You see, the Jews were very good at, at having the law and holding up the law and, 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 and saying to the Gentiles, the law says you can't do that. The law says that you're going to be condemned for that. You're going to go to hell for that. And they were right. They just never thought of turning that law around and applying it to themselves because they, in their mind it didn't apply to them. But Paul says, of course it applies to you. Verse 23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. You're just as guilty and just as much then under the sentence of condemnation because that's what the law says. The soul that sins shall die. It's what the law does. It exposes sin and condemns it. And, and Paul goes on in verse 24 to make the point that the, the sin of the Jews is in some way even worse because their sin causes other people to blaspheme God. Look at verse 24. As it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That is a, that's a, just a sober statement. Every Jew understood that blasphemy was the greatest sin. That, that blasphemy of all sins is certainly deserving of death. That's why they charge Jesus with it. But Paul says to the Jews, you're guilty of it because you are causing other people to commit it. You see, Jews had a reputation in the world, and it was not a good one. It was not a good one. They were known for their pride. They were known for their self-righteousness. They were known for the way that they despised everyone who was not like them. And so instead of being a light to the nations, they became a stench to the nations. They were, they were abhorred by the Gentiles, and as Gentiles hated the Jews, they hated the Jews' God, because he must be just like them. 
Do you know why many sincere Muslims around the world want nothing to do with Christianity? Because they look at the filth coming out of the United States of America, a supposedly Christian nation, and they want nothing to do with it. That's just the truth. You see, friends, far too often God's name is blasphemed in the world because of the behavior and attitudes of God's people. I had a really um, just sad experience of that some years ago. I was at the Benandal Arena to buy some tickets for a concert, Christian concert. I think it was Gaither Homecoming. Tickets went on sale at 10 o'clock, so I got there at 9.45, so I wouldn't be in line a long time. There were about maybe 30 people there already, standing there in line and making small talk, and then the the crowd slowly grew. Uh, People were talking about other Christian concerts they'd been to. Anyhow, at at 10 o'clock, the the windows opened, and and there was this mad rush towards the windows, and and people began ordering their tickets uh, with a really demanding, condescending demeanor. Uh, it, was, it was striking as I'm watching. When I got to the window, I briefly apologized to the lady uh, who was um, working there. Her name was Rose. And then I went home, and I, and I couldn't forget it. Um, it was a Saturday, and I, I, um, I called the arena, actually, uh, when I was back in my office and asked to talk with Rose. And so I got her on the phone, and I told her that I was a pastor, and I wanted to just talk with her about uh, the behavior of the crowd that morning. And Rose said, um, oh, you're probably concerned that they didn't act very religious. And I agreed that that's exactly right. And, and, I, and I said to her, let me ask you, in your experience, what's the difference between a crowd of Christians coming for a Christian concert and a crowd of people coming to an acid rock concert? Not saying that you can't be a Christian if you go to an acid rock concert, but I just assumed that there'd be different makeup. What's the difference You know what she said? There's no difference. No better, no worse. She said, people get rude because of the tension and they see uh, people ahead of them and everybody wants to be first. And then she said this. You know, that's one of the reasons I don't go to church. I saw that what people said on Sunday made no difference in their lives. And so uh, Rose decided that Christianity was not for her. Christians, uh, the, the God of Christians had no interest. She was not interested in him uh, because it makes no difference. That's the testimony that was being given to Rose. And, and that's the testimony, friends, we give to the world when we act, when we say we're Christian and we act just like the world. When, when the world can look at us and say, okay, I see that you profess God and yet I don't see any difference. I don't see any difference in how you drive. I don't see any difference in how you talk to your wife. I don't see any difference in how you treat you, you know, uh, other people. You're, there's no difference. Paul is pounding home the point that having the truth doesn't protect you from the truth. The Jews having the law doesn't protect them from it. it, it the, the law itself exposed them of sinning. Being a Jew was not going to save them from the wrath that they deserved. Their circumcision was not going to protect them from from the the hell that uh, the the law demands. You see, Paul says 25, your circumcision is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, then your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. It's no value on the final day whatsoever. So what's the conclusion? Well, the conclusion is a lawbreaker is a lawbreaker, whether he's a Jew or a Gentile or a professing Christian. A lawbreaker is a lawbreaker, and the demand of the law is that lawbreakers must pay the penalty of death. You see, 
This text is meant to destroy all false comfort, all false assurance. Uh, speaking of comfort, I'm sure many of you have heard the name Ray Comfort. He's made a, a, a ministry out of going to the street and asking people basic questions about the law. So he'll start out, um, ask, can, can I ask you a few questions? And he'll start out by saying, uh, would you say that you're a good person? And everyone says, yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. And, and Ray will say, well, can I ask you a few questions? Sure. Have you ever lied? Well, sure, everybody lies. What do you call a person who lies? And they'll say, a liar? Have you ever stolen anything? You know, candy bar from the store, uh, something that wasn't yours, and you just took it. Well, yeah, everybody does that. Well, what do you call a person who steals? A thief? Have you ever been angry with somebody, like really angry with them? Well, of course, everybody gets angry. And he says, well, do you know that Jesus said that anger is akin to murder in your heart? Have you ever looked at a, a, a woman lustfully? And again, the answer is, well, yeah, of course. Did you know that Jesus said that if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart? And then he'll say this, you know, you told me that you were a good person, and yet by your own confession, you acknowledge that you are a liar, a thief, guilty of murder and adultery. Now let me ask you this, when you stand before God on the day of judgment, how in the world do you expect to escape hell? How do you expect to escape hell? That's the question Paul's asking his Jewish audience. And it's exactly the same question that he asks of you and me this morning. Because you see, Paul has said that the violators of God's law will be subject to the the, the fury and the wrath of God. The law of God, friends, is relentless. It doesn't care about your religious pedigree. It doesn't care about your, uh, even your profession. All it cares, all the law cares about is have you kept it or have you not kept it? Have you done what it requires? Have you, have you resisted doing the things that it forbids? Have you kept the law? That's all the law cares about. And only those who do the law perfectly will be justified on the day of judgment. And everyone who does not do the law perfectly will be sentenced to eternal condemnation. That's what the Bible teaches. And the fact is, you see, that's, that's a huge problem for us because we have not done the law. We've broken the law. And so the, the, the question that Paul wants people to ask is, what must we do to be saved? That's the question he wants us to, 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 to ask because he wants us to understand that, that we're in big trouble because God has given his law and God means his law. Not a single word of God falls to the ground unfulfilled. And, and Paul wants people, you see, who are trusting in their religion or trusting in their morality or trusting in their good reformed theology. He wants them to, to sense the fact that they being a lawbreaker are actually in truth under the sentence of the law and to ask the question, how can I be saved? Because I've sinned against God's holy law. It cannot be broken. You see, it's a gospel question for Jews and Gentiles and professing Christians. You find in, in, in the book of Acts, 
Jews asking that question. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches his Pentecost sermon and, and, and tells the Jews that they are guilty of putting to death the Son of God, who God has now raised to his right hand. And they are struck to the heart, these Jewish men, and they, they cry out, what must we do? How do, we, how do you make this right? How can we be saved? And Peter's uh, answer is, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's how you can be saved. And it's the only way you can be saved. We have the same question being asked by a, a, a Gentile, the Philippian jailer in, in Acts chapter 16. Uh, here's this man who has no religious background that we're told of. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Gentile in truth, and yet he's, Paul and Silas are in the prison, and they're singing hymns, and then the earthquake happens, and he realizes, this man does, that he's, he's in the presence of, of the divine, and he, and, he, and he cries out to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? That's the gospel question. And it has a gospel answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Maybe you're here this morning with a false Christian assurance. You've been born and raised in a Christian home. You believe the right things. You do your best to live a Christian life. And you're hoping that it's sufficient. It's not sufficient if your belief is intellectual assent and you're just, you're just doing your best in your power and hoping that being part of the church, hoping that that's enough. And, and I just want you to know, friends, uh, it will not suffice. It will not suffice. The reason it won't suffice is because you've broken the law of God a thousand times and a thousand ways, and so have I. And so, and so the only way to be saved, you see, is to, is to answer the law question, to deal with the law issue. And that's exactly what the gospel is about. It is, it is a glorious message of salvation for lawbreakers in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. So as we read early in the service, he who... Uh, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That's us. We're under the requirement of the law. We're under the penalty and the sentence of the law, and we cannot, we cannot eradicate ourselves. We can't make it right. We cannot fix it. But God sends His Son, born of a woman, to redeem us, to rescue us, to buy us back. That's the gospel. We have sinned. We have fallen short. We deserve hell. We do. And if God would, would judge us on the basis of our life for a moment, that's where we would go. We cannot save ourselves, but Jesus can. Jesus can. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or what I do can give me true peace with God. Not all my cares and sighs and tears can bear this awful load. It's not going to work. Thy blood alone, O Christ, to me can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. No other work save thine. No other blood will do. No other strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's Jesus all the way down. And the beauty of that, friends, is that you can know today if you are protected, if you are 
safe. Have you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And cast aside any hope of your good intentions, any hope of your good theology, any hope of your upbringing. You just put that all aside. It will not suffice to cover for your sin. And you, and you confess Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone is the Son of God who bore your sin on that cross and gave you his righteousness as a free gift. And on the basis of that righteousness, you have nothing to fear on the day of judgment. That's the gospel, and it's for everyone. And so I don't know where you are in your soul this morning, uh, where you are in your heart with God. But I, but I know this, that if you ask the gospel question, what must I do to be saved, the gospel answer will suffice for you if you'll lay hold of it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing your sin, repenting of your sin. Cast yourself fully, completely, only on Him, what He accomplished for you, what He freely gives you, and receive it by faith. And the Bible says you will be saved. And God does not lie. Let's be people who lay hold of that again and let that truth just remove the cynicism and the weariness and the apathy from our heart and, and realize in truth again this season what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us, what God has done for us. Friends, this will change the way you look at your life. This will change the way you look at the world. Salvation has come for sinners. All by grace, all through faith. Let's believe it. Amen. Well, Father in heaven, uh, we need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see and lay hold of this and believe this and trust this so that, Lord, the joy of it floods our soul. And so, Father, we ask that you would give to us the gift that Jesus has promised, the gift of the Spirit, and that the Spirit would give to us the gift that he brings, which is the gift of joy and faith and hope and trust and peace in believing. Oh, Holy Spirit, please, please work this into our hearts that our apathy is blown away and our, our fears are gone. And we, we put aside this heavy, heavy work of trying to be good enough. We put it aside and we rest in Jesus and the gift that he gives. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us, Lord, for all the ways that we have caused your name to be blasphemed in the world as we, with, with uh, bearing the name of Christ, have sinned and lived for ourselves, served our pride and our flesh. Oh God, thank you for Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we, would, that we would run to him, that we would cling to him, that Jesus would increasingly become our life, that he would be our joy and our peace and our righteousness, and that would free us, oh God, to love other people, particularly, Lord, those who do not yet know you, and that we would have a burden on our heart for people who are lost as we invite them to come and be saved the exact same way we were by confessing our sin and calling on his name. I thank you, O oh God, that no one will be turned aside who comes to you in the name of Jesus. So Lord, I pray that this morning, your Holy Spirit would just bring this truth home to our heart. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. Let's respond by just singing this wonderful song, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy, Weak and Wounded, Sick and Sore. And I will arise, I will go to Jesus, because Jesus promised to save sinners like us. Let's stand together and sing.
we be a church that loves the gospel and receives the gospel as people who desperately need it and live in a, we live in a world where people are lost without it. Let's, let's, let's be, by the grace and power of God, a church that clings to Jesus Christ and encourages each other uh, to do that and, and welcomes those around us to do the same to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now receive his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, bought with the blood of Christ. Amen.